This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is a Business Radio special presentation from the floor of the 2019 Wharton People Analytics Conference, where the industry's brightest minds get together and share how they're making the best decisions about their employees. Here's your host, Cade Massey. Hello and welcome to the 2019 Wharton People Analytics Conference. I am your host, Cade Massey. I'm also co-host of Wharton Moneyball here on the channel and I'm a faculty co-director of this conference, the Wharton People Analytics Conference. Over the next hour, I'm going to sit down with four interesting and accomplished guests to discuss their respective work. We've drugged them away from the conference. We're on the floor here as guests and participants and program speakers mill about. We're pulling them aside, sit down, talk about their work, their experience at the conference, why they're here. Should be a fun hour. Coming up next, delighted to be joined by Daniel Coyle. Dan is a best-selling author. He's also a contributing editor at Outside Magazine. He wrote The Culture Code. Culture Code was named the best business book of 2018 by Bloomberg, BookPal, and Business Insider. He has a number of other books as well, including The Talent Code, Secret Race, The Little Book of Talent. And he works as a special advisor to his local pro team, one of the best-run organizations in professional sports, the Cleveland Indians. Dan, thanks for stepping away, man. Thanks for having me, Kate. It's good to be here with you. Tell me, why why are you here? There's too much cool stuff happening here, and I, I got the I got the honor of being in the in the, this panel that is, you know, this is a conference about precision and about measurement, and the title of the panel I'm on is, is, is the vaguest title that maybe has ever happened at this conference. <laughs> it's called Fostering High Performance. Mm, Three right. vague words that <laughs> add up to a really interesting, like, black box right. to explore, and there's some really cool people that uh, you guys put together to explore with. Well, I think to some extent that's what you've been writing about, you know, maybe your whole career. Yeah. So what, what, how do you feel prepared to talk about this panel with these guys? So you're, you're going to, let's be specific, you're talking to Meg Popovic of the Toronto Maple Leafs and CeCe Clark of the Cleveland Indians. Both of those are in, they're in high performance or sometimes yeah. called player development within yep. their organizations. What do you think you bring to that conversation? Why are, why are you the right moderator for that panel? Well, I've spent the last 15 years sort of digging into this area, you know, sort of flying over this landscape. And what's interesting about Meg and Cece, what they bring, is they're, they've been living deeply in this landscape. Uh, they're sort of like the Lewis and Clark in this big continent of high performance. What it's really like on the ground to deal with world-class high performers and how do you nurture them, maintain them, and help them get better. Um, so I've say, been look, yeah. When you say the Lewis Clark, that, that implies that it's relatively new frontier, that yeah. they're, they're pioneers in some sense. In what way are Meg and Cece pioneers in this well, they are, they are women in field, two fields that have been traditionally incredibly masculine and incredibly traditional, too. Yep. So they bring a fresh perspective, a new set of eyes to look at this thing. So the way they build relationships is different. The way they make culture is different. The mm-hmm. things they notice are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for this audience that's keenly interested in, in continuing to explore that landscape, I think their point of view is just totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. What are you interested in? You know, you've done a lot of work in this area, but now you yep. to sit down with a couple of practitioners. What are you interested in hearing from them. I want to hear I want them to sort of talk about their skill sets. They're athletes in a way, mm-hmm. right? They're relationship athletes, they're communication athletes. And so I want to understand that skill set better. Mm-hmm. And I think other people do too. How do they what do they do in the first 10 seconds of meeting somebody? Mm-hmm. How do they build relationships with athletes who are like think of a really touchy thoroughbred horse. I know you're a horse person, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're born to run, they're born to perform. There there's a there there's a there's a standoffishness and an aloofness to being a pro athlete. Uh, and at risk also. You don't want to be vulnerable. 
necessarily. If you get cut, if you show weakness, right. everything's at risk. And right. so how do they operate in that landscape? That's a super interesting skill set. It's a terrifically interesting analogy because there are horse people and there are horse whisperers. Hmm. And there are those who either by nature or by years of experience understand how to approach and work with horses in a way that someone else might get a very different reaction out of the same animal. Yeah. Um, so to, that's a nice insight into one of the important skills in that job because you're, you're trying to get these guys, as you say, to be vulnerable and open up. And the whole field is real. I mean, you know, what did player development look like in baseball 50 years ago? You took a bucket of balls, you rolled it out, and you said, go get them. Exactly. That's it, right? Exactly. And now ba- I feel like baseball is further along than the other sports on mm-hmm. player development. Maybe because they're, it's so obviously that, that, so obviously mental the mental game is such a big part of it, mm-hmm. but you've got more teams doing, investing in these people to do player development, high performance in that sport than in other sports. So other right. sports are catching up slowly, yep. but baseball's out there up front. So uh, you've got experience with the Cleveland Indians. How long has that been going on? How did it get started? This is the sixth year, and it started kind of very randomly. I wrote a book called The Talent Code, which is about how individuals get better, and a couple of coaches happened to read it, and they turned to the back flap and it said, that I spent a good part of my year in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And uh, so I got an, got an email one day from a mm-hmm. couple of coaches there. Came in, talked to him, came in, talked to him again. And I love baseball. I, I grew up in Alaska. Always wanted to be a, mm-hmm. always wanted to be a ball player. Never did. Uh, not, but a, not a lot of baseball in Alaska. Is there's, How there's, does that work? There are zero major league players <laughs> who've ever come from Alaska. Okay. And when I got to high school, I was being struck out by kids who had grown up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty clear that I didn't have a path. But Say, yeah. <laughs> This reminds me of hitting on a, on a, on a you, you go to a baseball park and like hit, hit off the batting machine or throw at the radar mm-hmm. gun. Yeah. And you can only throw like 55, 60 miles an hour and you think, well, dang, that's slow. But then you go to the 60-mile-an-hour great batting machine, and you can't hit it either. Yeah. So as slow as you throw, you can, you can strike yourself out. It's humbling. So there was a – who was the great basketball player for Duke that came out of Alaska? Trajan Langdon. Trajan Langdon. Yeah, he went to okay. my high school. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, how many high schools are there in Alaska? Yeah, there's six in Anchorage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, so you grew up that way with baseball. Yep. So how did you react whenever you got this note from the coaches at the Indians? Oh, I was – I couldn't have been more excited about it. And – and there, it sort of caught us both at this moment. As a writer, I work by myself a lot, and I'm always exploring stuff by myself. And there's this organization of really switched-on, intellectual, curious leaders. Indians are amazing. They're amazing. And so I, I felt that. It's like, I want to be a part of something here. This is neat. And then I think they felt, uh, going the other way, hey, they've had their sort of guardrails up but focused on the sport. And then they realized, wait a minute, there's all kinds of connections, the kind of connections that get created at a place like this. Um, there's all kinds of things we can learn from other organizations and from different ways of thinking about talent. And the, the tradition in baseball is so strong. And the example that I always think about is, is in batting practice. You know, every team has batting practice right before the game, and they have a guy our age throw 60 miles an hour, yeah, yeah. and everybody hits home runs. Yeah. And, and to walk up to that and say, hey, I'll bet that makes you feel comfortable. But does that make you better? Mm-hmm. That's a question that actually is a powerful question in baseball right, right. now. And so, They've been doing it that way for 75 years. Babe Ruth well, did it that way, yeah. Cade. Like, why should we keep okay, doing there it that you go. way? Right. right. So this is the kind of organization that's up for asking these questions, challenging conventional wisdom, and importantly, looking outside the building for yeah. interest and, and perspective that's different. That's why um, they're here, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Indians are here. They sent three people, one of the program and three participants to yeah. come in and soak this stuff up, and it's not their first year. What's something you've learned from them? Well, I, I think 
I really learned a lot about culture from them. And I, I, while I was writing the culture book, I was visiting, you know, Pixar, Seals Team 6, um, San Antonio Spurs, other places. I never wrote about my experiences with the Indians there because I like to sort of keep my writing and my advisory work separately. But uh, I, really, I really learned how powerful tensions can be when you talk about them. I think there's a tendency in organizations that I always thought like, oh, you should try to avoid tensions. And it turns out absolutely not. You know, if you can find them, name them, create conversations around them, make them really clear. And the example that, you know, we sort of had with the Indians is this tension between innovation and tradition. As an organization, small market team, if we do it like the Yankees do it, we're going to lose. We have to innovate. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a tremendous amount of value in, in knowing how baseball players have been trained, and we have a lot of smart, older coaches. So rather than having people divide and let that tension rule you and let people divide up into those camps, I'm a traditional coach, I'm an innovative coach, mm-hmm. we say, look, we have to innovate through tradition. You know, we, have to, we have to do both. And by making that really clear from the very top and making that attention goes from being a negative to being a pillar and a, and a place to have a, a place to have a conversation around. Mm-hmm. It seems like that is a great idea if the organization can handle it. So yeah. what, what have you seen in the way that they actually can manage that tension in a conversation about it? Because I can imagine in some organizations you raise the fundamental tension and things kind of blow up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think the things that they do, uh, they put psychological safety first. They psychological safety. Now, yeah. I know some folks in this conference yep. understand this concept. What is this concept? It's a concept that when you know that we have this spot deep in our brains that is always monitoring whether or not we share a future with the people we're around, and whether or not there's authentic connection. And there's, as I wrote about in my book quite a bit, but the 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 idea is basically that a few small belonging cues can make a massive difference. Belonging cues. Belonging. What's an cues. example of a belonging? Belonging cue. It can be. It can be. It can be facial, it can be body expression, it can be a clear signal. It can be questions. It can be a clear signal that we share a future, that I care, um, that I'm invested in your success. Mm-hmm. And the best example of that is this Wipro experiment that I write about, a call center that did a one-hour intervention where they took a new group of trainees, divided them into two, half of them got traditional training, half of them got uh, a one-hour intervention where they, instead of being told about the company, they simply flipped it. And they said, they asked the new trainee, tell me about your best day, tell me about your worst day, if we were on a desert island, what would you bring to the survival? And um, that was it. Three simple questions, three simple belonging cues that sent the signal, hey, we share a future. I'm, I care about your success. I'm interested. And so that little moment is something that lights up our brains in a different mm-hmm. way. And when we think about places where we feel safe, that's what we're getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a concept that came up on the program yesterday, actually, just hmm. kind of in passing. Because, you know, people come to this conference from many different perspectives. You sat here for, you know, part of the last 24 hours. Yeah. What have you seen or heard that has caught your attention and might want more inquiry or what has resonated with you? I thought the conversation with Marcus Buckingham was really interesting. The particular thing I took away uh, was the notion of potential as one way of thinking uh, thinking about where people are and what their future is. And the other idea of momentum. I think there's something really interesting there, this idea that... We, right now, we reflexively talk about people as high potential, low potential. That turns into a label that can have negative consequences. Mm-hmm. And there people really, that may be true. Maybe people do have high potential and low potential. But it's, it's smarter to sort of shift the nuance a little bit and say, let's talk about people's momentum. Let's talk about the angle of attack that they've got. Let's talk about the speed which they're moving in their career. Let's talk about the, 
the, the, the sort of vector of their curiosity. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that idea of momentum, I think, is a really powerful one that I'm going to take. It, 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 I'm trying to understand the source of your enthusiasm for that, because I get it, but mm-hmm. I think it's meaningful to me that you react to that so strongly. Yeah. It, it basically, is that you're, you're, the entire conversation then is couched in some intrinsically positive term. So momentum is positive and forward-moving, but it does come in different flavors. And so we can, we can differentiate those that are, you know, in one direction versus another. Yep. One is a little more steep than another. Yep. But it's all couched in terms of momentum. Is that part of the appeal? That's part of it. And the, and the deeper part of it is that momentum is a state and potential is a trait. My momentum can change. I, I, it gives me a little more control. That mental model of it gives me more control. Got it. But Got the it. word potential, when you say, Dan is low potential, it's yeah. like, oh, man. Got it. That's Got tough. It. So Got it. Got it. That's the difference. Okay, final question then. What is your momentum, Dan, mm. as a writer? Mm. What, what, what comes next for you? That, that's a very nice way to ask that question, Kate. <laughs> I'm super interested in narrative, super interested in story, like the power of story to kind of guide perception, guide belief, and drive improvement. I think a lot of our efforts to improve, which conferences like this are built around, are doomed to failure. There's a lot of great information out there, and we all sit here and nod and say, yes, we're going to change. But it's really hard to change unless you kind of change the narrative. And so I'm really interested in that. That sounds promising. That's exciting. Dan, thank you for taking the time. Wish you the best with the conference. Wish you the best with your work. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate you it. Bet. Author Dan Coyle from Cleveland in here. He's hosting a panel in the next hour to actually one of the last panels of the day. He, of course, is the author of The Talent Code and Culture Code, works with the Cleveland Indians, Dan Coyle. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 